Our first Bible reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. Our second reading is from Jeremiah chapter 12 verses 1 to 4. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are, they, you are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who lived in it are wicked, the animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we sit, let us pray together. God, our Father, for your mercies, for your grace, for your goodness, for all that you give to us in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, we give you our thanks. And we pray that this morning, by your mercy, you would speak to us through your word. For this we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. It is genuinely wonderful to be here together this morning, and it is wonderful to have this opportunity to speak to you in person rather than through an iPhone, which has been the uh, uh, circumstance of this last few months. It really is wonderful to be here. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? I guess it wouldn't be anything trivial, but it would probably be something like, why did so-and-so have to suffer in the way that they did because they were such a good person? Or why did you take so long answering that prayer? Or even, why aren't you listening, God? Why is it that I pray and nothing seems to change? You could ask God one question, what would it be? It probably wouldn't be anything trivial. I remember the starkest moment in my life and ministry was just before we moved from Cambridge to Liverpool 15 years or so ago. It was at two o'clock in the morning in Adam Rook's car park, the hospital in Cambridge. And what had led to it was this. 
For some months, a young woman from the church at which I was the vicar had been carrying twins. She was born with a congenital hip defect, and that meant it had taken a long time for her to conceive. She was carrying twins, and then very early on in the pregnancy, she began to bleed. She was taken into hospital and basically was told to wait for the worst to happen. Well, I went to visit her. The problem was not only was she bleeding, but with one of the sacs that the, amni uh, the, the twins were in, the amniotic fluid was leaking as well. And it looked like the challenged one was going to take away the thriving one. Well, over the coming days and then over the coming weeks, the mum and I prayed often that God would spare the children. And the twins stayed inside. And the days and the weeks turned into a month and then into a second month. And gradually, she and I began to believe that God would answer her prayer, that she would have these children. And we began to say to each other, perhaps it's the case that the challenged one is hanging on, that the one that looks like it'll thrive will survive. And the months turned into a second month and then on into a third. And then the twins were born very, very early, but they were born alive. There was huge relief and great rejoicing. These tiny, tiny babies in an incubator in Adam Rooks Hospital in Cambridge. And after five days, at 11 o'clock at night, I got a telephone call from the dads to say that one of the twins had died and would I come in and baptize the other one because it looked like it wasn't going to survive. So I arrived at the hospital. There was a porter waiting for me in the car park, led me straight up to the ward. Such was the speed with which this child needed to be baptized. I baptized uh, the, the girl. This was the one that had survived. The boy had died, even though he was the one expected to live. It was the girl who was uh, now in the incubator, hanging on by a thread. Using my finger with a tiny drop of water through the incubator lid, I baptized this little girl. And I held her lifeless brother in my hand, one hand, and committed him to God. And I went out, having done those things, with the despair of the parents very much on my heart, and I cried out to God in the car, what on earth are you doing? Why did you put that family through that? All those months, all those hopes, all those expectations for it to come to this. And I drove home in utter despair and anguish and anger at God at what he'd done to this family. Well, the little girl continued to live. And she continued to live. And about a fortnight after he died, I buried the little boy in a churchyard in Cambridgeshire with just the mum and dad and me present. They couldn't cope with anybody else being there. No grandparents, nobody else, just the three of us. And I put myself this tiny shoebox-sized coffin into the ground, and the parents wept and wept and wept. And the little girl continued to live. I'll come back to that story in a moment. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? It wouldn't be something trivial, would it? Surely it would be something like that. Why on earth have you done this? What does this mean? What is going on? Now, sometimes as Christians, we think it's inappropriate to cry out to God, to rail at God, to say to God what is genuinely and truly on our hearts. Because we have this sense that 
God is a bit English and a bit polite and a bit sensitive. And so therefore we might offend him if we tell him what we actually feel and what it's like to live as a human being in a world that is fallen and where awful things happen to good people. And so often, therefore, what we do is we hold in the genuine cry of anguish that we have. Well, what I want to do this morning is suggest to you very briefly, from two different perspectives, that God not only hears our prayers when we cry from such a place, but he answers and he loves, even if that is a mystery to us. Remember, Scripture is never a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived within. Sometimes we get the two confused. First reason why I think it is absolutely fine to put our questions to God in the sharpest of sense as possible, with real honesty and with real human emotion, is because of the Psalms. The Psalms are literally at the heart of Scripture, and for me it is no accident that that is why they are there. Listen to Psalm 10 and verse uh, 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Listen to Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Well, what about the psalm that Jesus himself, our Lord and Saviour, cried out from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the heart of Scripture is honest prayer, honest anguish, honest railing, honest emotion. Now, to me, it's no coincidence that all three of those psalms end with a word of praise and trust. Because that is the point. If we cry out to God, we do so not because we don't believe that he's there, but surely it's because we do believe that he's there and that he's big enough to answer our questions and to hear our hurts and to take our anger and our emotion. It's if we don't cry out like that, that we're expressing a lack of trust. Not if we do, and so often as Christians, we get that confused. God wants us to say, this is how it is, and it's really hard, and I don't understand. Just as I did in that car park in Adam Brooks Hospital at two o'clock in the morning. And it's not just in the Psalms, that reading from Jeremiah. Why is it, God, that everybody else seems to be doing okay, even they don't, they don't care about you? But me, the one that you've asked to preach all these years about coming judgment, he had to preach for 40 years against the circumstances of his day. Why is it that these people are doing fine and it's me that's getting all the grief? For 40 years, God, you're asking me to do this. Why is it so tough for me, and why is it so easy for them when I'm the one who's being faithful? Have you ever felt like that? Surely, surely I have. 
Why is it so much easier for them and so much harder for me when I'm the one who believes in you? Right at the heart of Scripture is that sense in which we are called to cry out to God in our anguish. And God will hear our prayer. So what happened to that little baby? Well, this brings us to the second part of uh, what I want to say this morning. You see, sometimes when we cry out, when we genuinely try and hold together life and faith in an integrated whole, such that we can bring everything to God, when we cry out to God like that, then what we find is that actually a bigger picture, a broader perspective, things that we didn't expect come into play. One of those is that we need to learn to live with the question before we can learn to live with the answer. In my work of uh, discerning vocations, that's very often true, living with the question for years before we're ready to live with the answer. But sometimes it's because of a broader picture, a canvas that we just don't see. This is the second scripture. You see, Mary needed affirmation that what had happened to her was true. And who was the only person who could give it to her? Elizabeth, her cousin, her older cousin, her cousin beyond childbearing age, who could also say that God had met with her and miraculously wrought in her the birth of a child, admittedly through natural means, but the birth of a child. So for decades, Elizabeth had been crying out for a baby. But the reason she wasn't given one at the time when she wanted it, when it was naturally possible for her to have one, was because in the foreknowledge of God, she needed to be the one who could affirm Mary in all that she was facing. And only she could do that. And therefore, God held back in responding to Elizabeth's prayer because of a broader picture of salvation that he was bringing about, which included John the Baptist, the cousins who grew up together, the second cousins who grew up together, whose ministry needed to intertwine, and because of Elizabeth being able to affirm that Mary's experience was valid. Sometimes, my brothers and sisters, it's because there's a question, a broader question, a bigger picture that we don't understand. Back to those twins. The days went by and the weeks went by and the little girl survived. She was the one who was challenged in the womb. She was the one whose amniotic sac was leaking. And gradually, the mum and me in particular came to realise that we'd got the equation wrong. But somehow we thought that the girl child was hanging on so that the boy child might survive. We came to realise that perhaps it was the boy child who'd been held in place, that the girl child might survive. For what reason at the time, we had no idea. 
but we began to reinterpret the facts in the light of the simple truth that God had been faithful and this child was alive. Now the last service that I had in the church where I was vicar before I came to All Saints Chilwell and then moved on to the role that I now have, the celebration service at the end of the decade or so that I've been there, the mum and the dad brought the girl to church. It was the first time she'd been out of the house since she was born. The mum, with her congenital hip, limped down the aisle, carrying this tiny baby in her arms. The dad walked half a pace behind, holding the oxygen tank that was strapped to the little baby's nose. And I gave them communion. And I blessed the child. And at the age of five, they sent me her photograph to show me how well she was doing. If you had one question, what would it be? Don't be afraid to ask it. God can take whatever it is and in articulating it, you make it possible for him to answer. Perhaps not in a way that you expect, perhaps not in the time that you expect. Maybe that you have to live with the question for a while. But God is good. As it says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Let's pray. But our Father, for your mercies, for your grace, for your word, we give you our thanks and we pray that we would live as faithful women and men, trusting in you. We cannot see the horizon, Lord. Give us the capacity to continue to walk towards it nonetheless in faith and trust. For you are our rock, our redeemer, and our deliverer. And blessed be your holy name. Amen.